Luther's terms, or in Calvin's terms, maybe the sovereignty of God over all things. And they're going to put that as the primary thing. Arminius and his followers are going to read Scripture and say, but what we find in Scripture is not that as the primary thing. The primary thing is actually faith, okay? And so we're going to put faith first, and we're going to, because both of these things, we have to admit that there is a tension between the sovereignty of God and election. Okay, let me back up. We don't have to admit that there's a tension here. I don't think that there's a tension here. But nevertheless, there seems to be a tension for many people in between the sovereignty of God and election and us having faith, and the requirement for us to have faith, the requirement that God says, believe, okay? Um, And so, if you, if you believe in the sovereignty of God first and foremost, and then you read faith underneath that, that's one way of understanding it and saying, well, faith must be under the sovereignty of God. God gives faith as a gift, yada, yada, yada. If, if you flip it around, what you're going to end up doing is saying, God has put forward the response of faith as the thing that saves. Therefore, we need to understand how God's sovereignty works underneath that rubric, okay? And so what Arminius does is basically to say, faith is primary, because God calls us to have faith, and then we need to understand the sovereignty. Now, he doesn't word it like that. That's just kind of my take on it, so please don't understand that I'm, I'm not telling you what Arminius wrote. I'm just saying this is kind of my take on it. Um, otherwise, other than that, Arminius was far more, cal- oh, frankly, Arminius is much more Calvinistic than anyone in this room, okay? So when it came to church polity, the way the government was to interact with things, um, the sacraments on down the line, he was a Calvinist. This was the one place that he, he differed from. Which is one of the reasons why I just don't like calling myself a Calvinist because I'm just not a Calvinist. I have huge problems with Calvin, um, which we've noted at length. Uh, nevertheless, um, amongst all of this, politics tends to be an issue as it always was. The Dutch for many years happened to be under the thumb of Spain um, and they had recently just been released from the thumb of Spain. There was a good group of them that wanted to get back in league with Spain. Uh, Remember, Spain is a Catholic, um, Catholic country, and they wanted to get back in league with them because Spain was the naval power of the time. The Dutch wanted to, the Dutch merchants, especially the bourgeoisie in the the Netherlands, uh, wanted to reaffirm their connection with them because it was going to help them make money. Okay, so they were all in favor of this, and. Being all in favor, they also, for whatever reason, went along with Arminius. Now, the, the rest of the, the lower classes um, didn't, knew that they wouldn't get much from a connection to Spain, and so they rejected this. And the church was quite against this because they saw a return to allegiance with Spain as possibly bringing in Catholic heresy and Catholic practices into their nice, beautiful, reformed churches. They said, we don't want that. And so there's a natural alliance between the church and their strong Calvinism and the lower classes who wanted to reject the Spanish rule over them anyways and any allegiance with Spain versus um, the sort of merchant class which didn't mind this and was also against the church in terms of Arminianism. So this ends up playing a large role in what ends up happening. Unfortunately, um, Arminius dies in 1609 um, at a decently young age of tuberculosis, which is you know, something that killed a huge number of people back in the day. Um, so he dies. Um, his followers, and this, this stuff is still brewing and they haven't quite worked it through yet, his followers... Um, issue uh, five remonstrance, okay? So these remonstrance are basically 
these are things that we have issues with in the Belgic Confession. And we're going to read some of it. So this is, you see my sheet here? This is the entirety of, uh, you, hopefully the prayer requests aren't coming through it so you can kind of see this well. This is the, all of the remonstrance right here, five of them. And they're really short. Um, and so we're going to read the two of the most important ones and talk about what they say and what they don't say. Um, and, and I think, quite frankly, it's surprising for most people because they don't actually know what are Minions, especially directly after the death. So this would be in about 1610. Um, what Arminians actually said about the Belgic Confession, what they were, uh, the remonstrance actually were about. So this is Article 1, and we'll read this. Um, I don't know if we're going to read the whole thing, but we'll read most of it. That God, by an eternal and unchangeable purpose in Jesus Christ his Son, before the foundation of the world, has determined out of the fallen sinful race of men to save in Christ for Christ's sake and through Christ those who, through the grace of the Holy Ghost, shall believe on this his Son Jesus and shall persevere in this faith and obedience of faith through this grace even to the end. And, on the other hand, to leave the incorrigible and unbelieving in sin and under wrath and to condemn them as alienate from Christ according to the word of the gospel. Okay, and then he quotes John 3.36. There is nothing in that that any Calvinist would object to. Now, what they would object to is saying that falls way short of what you have to say. But that doesn't actually stand against Calvinism. Okay? Because notice what they say. They say that by grace, in Christ, if you have faith, which is, again, continually they're pointing back to grace, you're saved. Okay? And even the perseverance that you have to the end is due to the grace of Christ. So that's not standing against predestination at all. And in fact, when historians talk about this, they talk about um, that this is sort of a, a, an unaffiliated predestination. They don't know where the remonstrants actually stand because they just don't take a stand on either one. They're not where Arminians are today. So Arminians today are, are not saying, well, it's just faith in Jesus and great. There's, there's this great, we're, we're going to find in both this article and the last article, there's a huge amount of hesitancy for them to, they don't want to put a pin down anywhere, okay? So what they're doing is they're basically saying, this is all we want to say about predestination. And now, those who agree to the Belgic Confession are going to come back and say, you need to say more than that. And what we're going to find, my guess, is that the Arminian preachers couldn't hold on to those two sticks and say, hey, both of these can be true, eventually, because this is a hot-button issue, you're, you're going to fall on one or fall on the other. And so this sort of hesitancy in practice doesn't ever work. You're, you're going to have to make a decision. And most of them decided against where Calvin and Luther and um, Augustine were. They're going to lean on the fact that it is by faith alone that you are saved and that God has not chosen you for that faith. But again, in the first article, we have absolutely no indication that that's what they mean. Um, it's, it's what we might call an open statement. Um, the next article, Article 2, um, concerns limited atonement, um, which begins this way. Uh, limited atonement. Anyone want to tell me what that means when we talk about limited atonement? Jesus didn't die for everyone. He died for the elect. Okay, so his death was not 
for every single person in the world. His death was only and particularly for the elect. Okay? So this is what, um, this is the first time that we have a, a complete and utter disagreement on that in the remonstrance. That agreeably thereunto, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, died for all men and for every man, so that he has obtained for them all, by his death on the cross, redemption and the forgiveness of sins, yet that no one actually enjoys this forgiveness of sins except the believer. Okay? So there is no limited atonement. Christ has died for everyone equally, but that doesn't mean it applies to everyone equally. It only applies to those who truly believe. The third article um, concerns total depravity and the need of grace. Um, And again, it is good to read these things and exactly what they say. So article three, that man has not saving grace of himself, nor of the energy of his free will, inasmuch as he, in the state of apostasy and sin, can of and by himself neither think, will, nor do anything that is truly good, such as saving faith eminently is. Okay? So understand what they're saying there. On his own, man outside of grace does not choose to believe in Jesus Christ. He he does not choose good. So whatever the remonstrants mean, they don't mean to put grace outside of the category, or they don't mean to put faith outside of the category of, of grace, and they don't mean to say that faith is simply God's gift of free will to people. Okay? They're not Pelagian in any respect saying man is what he is and he can simply choose to accept God's free offer. They're not Pelagian at all. Okay? They're very carefully saying that outside of, of grace of God, no one believes. Okay? They're very emphatic on that. But, they go on, but that it is needful that he be born again of God in Christ through his Holy Spirit and renewed understanding, inclination, or will, and all his powers, in order that he might rightly understand, think, will, and affect what is truly good. Okay? So they are emphasizing faith, but they're doing it in a, in a very subdued way and under the category of grace, which is not the way most people think of Arminians. And, frankly, it's just not the way Arminians work today. Um, there probably are some who are very careful with this. This goes, falls under the category of provenient grace and other things like that, but that's not actually here. Um, Article 4 concerns the nature of grace um, being basically, uh, well, I might as well read it. Um, Probably shouldn't. Okay, so we'll move on. The nature of grace, meaning that grace is something that God gives freely, uh, that it is his grace that he gives to all men and allows them to respond to him. They still want to keep the focus on the faith of the individual, but they're, they're still categorizing that under the grace. It is the beginning, the continuance, and the accomplishment of all good, and that would include faith. The grace of God is the cause of that, okay? Now, the last article concerns um, preservation of the saints, and here there is more confusion than anywhere else. So, the first part of this article is basically saying there's no doubt that if you are faithful— and you hold on to the grace that is in Christ, you will never be condemned, okay? So there, the first part's very firm. It sounds pre, um, preservation-y, right? It sounds like, like they believe in preservation of the saints. The end of the remonstrance says this, but whether people, believers, are capable 
through negligence, of forsaking again the first beginning of their life in Christ, of again returning to this present evil world, of turning away from the holy doctrine which was delivered them, of losing a good conscience, of becoming devoid of grace, that must be more particularly determined out of Holy Scripture before we ourselves can teach it with the full persuasion of mind. Again, they're not denying the preservation of the saints. What they're saying is, no, right? They're basically looking at Scripture and saying, we need to tease this out more. It's just, it is not apparent to us that this is actually the case. Now, the problem that we run into is where do we start defining what Arminianism is? Because this is a year after Arminius died. It likely is a good encapsulation of his teachings. Um, at least at this point, it is a good encapsulation of those who followed in him and what they believed. So at the very least, they were unwilling to take a stand against totally what Luther, Calvin, and Augustine taught when it comes to predestination. They did not believe that people could actually lose their salvation, they believed that it was possible that people could possibly lose their salvation, okay? Now, when you read history, what's interesting is they talk about, let me, I wrote this down because it's, it's difficult to, um, yeah, maybe I didn't write it down. Well, this is the problem of having notes that are horrible. Um, Historians will talk about they affirmed, and theologians will sometimes say, the remonstrance affirmed the possibility that people could lose their faith, okay? That people could fall from grace. Well, technically, that is what the remonstrance say, right? But the way that that's usually phrased doesn't do justice to what is actually written in the remonstrance, because what that sounds like is that they were certain that it's possible that people lose their faith. But that's not what the possible, the possibility isn't about losing their faith. The possibility is about whether Scripture agrees that they can lose their faith. They're saying, we don't know if people can lose their, their faith, but we are open to being led by Scripture to that conclusion. Okay? So, they're not as Arminian, the Arminians are not as Arminian as the Arminians will be. Okay? Um, and it's important to know this because these things clearly evolve. So when we talk about the remonstrance, the remonstrance were not against predestination as they are written. They're not against preservation of the saints as they are written. Um, they are fully graced. So faith is a matter of grace and grace of God, things like that. Um, the reason why that's important is because um, we're eventually going to then get to the Synod of Dort. Um, Dort is called um, in or 1618, um, Dort's a city in the Netherlands, and basically what they wanted to do is for Reformed churches, we need to deal with this, and they called a number of people together, and this is what the synod ends up producing. Um, so from this one sheet of paper, five remonstrance, gets five responses that cover about 16 sheets of paper that look like this, okay? And what that means, I think particularly, is that the Council of Dort is not simply responding to the remonstrance, but they are responding to what Arminians have done with the remonstrance. And so you're going to find, if you read the, the, the actual Synod of Dort or the Canons of Dort, um, what you're going to find is that they have a number of articles that they affirm and then articles that they reject um, that go much further down the line 
in dealing with Arminianism than the Remonstrants do, which tells me that by the time 1618 rolled around, there were many Arminians that were going far beyond what the Remonstrants had said, okay? Now, the Canons of Dort is where Calvinism basically becomes enshrined. So the five points of Calvinism, or TULIP, are basically all in here. And each one of the, they basically call it head of doctrine. There's a first head, a second head. Um, I don't know why they did it this way. It's really confusing. There's actually only four sections of this, but there are five heads. They include head three and four together for some reason. I don't know if it was some sort of weird monster with two heads or what the deal was, but three and four are put together. And basically the whole, the whole thing is um, to basically reinstate this idea of total depravity, um, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, preservation of the saints. Okay. Um, I want to read you a couple of sections from this because I think that it's helpful. Um, I, again, I struggle with how to talk about Baptists who believe these things. And I think that maybe we, if the name wasn't so horrible, we should just call ourselves Dordians. Um, because that's actually what we believe. We're not Calvinists. Um, I don't like saying the doctrines of grace because it, it really does not actually, it doesn't characterize what our real problem with Arminians is, right? Because they believe in grace too. Um, we're not Reformed. So saying we're a Reformed Baptist church is just, it's like saying we're a squared circle. It just, it, you can't be both, right? Reformed churches believe certain things. And a lot of what they believe was differentiated from other belief systems by the way that they did their church. So we're fully Dordian, um, uh, which, again, is really bad. Uh, it doesn't sound good. But I want to read you. If you go through and, and spent time reading this, you would learn a lot. But I, I also want to say that this is an incredibly beautifully written... Conf- it's not really... It, it kind of is a confession. People sign it. It's incredibly beautifully written. It's really moving. Um, I think that it, it, would, it does well for people to read it. Um, and to be helped by it. So let me read a couple of sections from this uh, for you before we move on. What time is it? Okay, we got time. Um, The elect in due time, though in various degrees and in different measures, attain the assurance of this, their eternal and unchangeable election, not by inquisitively prying into the secret and deep things of God, but by observing in themselves with a spiritual joy And holy pleasure, the infallible fruits of election pointed out in the Word of God, such as true faith in Christ, filial fear, a godly sorrow for sin, and a hungering and thirsting after righteousness. This sense and certainty of this election afford to the children of God additional matter for daily humiliation before Him, for adoring the depth of His mercies, for cleansing themselves, and rendering grateful returns of ardent love to Him who first manifested so great love towards them. So, the idea here is, like, this idea of election isn't, you're not, you're not elect because you believe the great things of God, right? You're not elect, they're, they're really careful to avoid all the mistakes of hyper-Calvinism that come later. You're not elect, and you're not saved by believing in the doctrine of election. You're not elect and saved because you understand the depths of the mysteries of God, the deep things of God, they say, but by observing in themselves they, they begin to understand that they're elect by observing in themselves spiritual joy, holy pleasure, the fruits of election. So do you see the fruit of the Spirit working in you? And what's more, 
believing in this doctrine is not to promote, we're going to find this written several times in here, is not to promote pride, but should actually promote humility before God. Um, Article 16 um, says this, and this is really, really helpful. Uh, Those who do not yet experience a lively faith in Christ, an assured confidence of soul, peace of conscience, an earnest endeavor after filial obedience, and glorifying God and glorifying in God through Christ, effectaciously wrought in them, and do nevertheless persist in the use of the means which God has appointed for working these graces in us, ought not to be alarmed at the mention of reprobation, nor rank themselves among the reprobate, but diligently to preserve in the use of means, with ardent desires, devoutly and humbly to wait for a season of richer grace. So, there are times in your life where you're going to think, am I saved or am I not, right? And Dort's saying, listen, calm down. What you need to do is wait for a richer season of grace. And in the meantime, that's a just, I love that turn of phrase. In the meantime, remember the grace that has been worked in you and hold on to it the grace of faith, the things that you have seen in your life, and what's more, to, to simply wait among God to refresh you, okay? So they're, they're looking at people, and they're worried that one of the things that Arminianism is going to do, which we, and, and there's dangers in Calvinism too, right? But one of the things that Arminians end up doing is, is swaying all over the board. They're, they're always afraid that, like, what happens if I'm in a downswing my faith is weak, and I die today, right? Will, will God look at my ending faith and say, I'm sorry, kiddo. I know it was a bad day and all, but that's them's the breaks. And so what the canons of Dort, whether or not that's a real fear that, that Arminians face, the canons of Dort are trying to dissuade against that, that feeling, even of losing your election, of saying, hey, you know, Wait for a richer season of grace. Remember what has, has been wrought in you. Um, two, let's see, and two, the third rejection. So this is something that they reject. Eh, we don't have time for that. Let's go on to something better. Uh, three and four. Um, here, and I'm going to read this because you're going to find that this is going to be much different than something that many of our brothers and sisters confess later. Article three of the third and fourth about total depravity. Article 3 says this, Therefore all men are conceived in sin and by nature children of wrath, incapable of saving good, prone to evil, dead in sin, and in bondage thereto, without the regenerating grace of the Holy Spirit. They are neither able nor willing to return to God, to reform the depravity of their nature, or to dispose themselves to reformation. There remains, however, in man since the fall, the glimmerings of natural light, whereby he retains some knowledge of God, of natural things, of the differences between good and evil, and discovers some regard for virtue, good order in society, and for maintaining orderly external deportment. In other words, there's a reason why even depraved people understand that there's a law that needs to be followed, right? Even unregenerate people understand that. I want to I read that third article to you again, and then I'm going to read something else that comes up later, Um, another confession from about 1640. And I, I want you to note the differences between these two. This is the Council of Dort. All men are conceived in sin and by nature children of wrath, incapable of saving good, 
prone to evil, dead in sin and in bondage thereto, without, and without the regenerating grace of the Holy Spirit, they are neither able nor willing to return to God to reform the depravity of their nature or to dispose themselves to reformation. Later, 1640 or so, in England, we get this. From original corruption, we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good and wholly inclined to all evil do precede all actual transgressions. So, note the difference um, between these two statements. From this original corruption, so from the fall of Adam, we are utterly indisposed, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil do precede all actual transgressions. That is much different than saying that we are by nature children of wrath, incapable of saving good, which clearly identifies that we're capable of something good. Prone to evil is not the same thing as being given over to all evil. It does say inclined, holy, but it says wholly inclined. So both of those words kind of neglect one another. You're um, are you inclined? Well, yeah, I'm all in, right? So it doesn't make it sound like there's a, a wiggle room in there. This is the Westminster Confession of Faith, okay? This is the Westminster Assembly that was, was brought together in about 1640. This is not what you and I mean when we talk about total depravity. This is men are incapable of any sort of good. I, I was actually, I've, I've never actually read that part of the Westminster Confession. I was floored by that. That is, that is an outlandish statement that I don't think that you can find balanced out anywhere in Scripture. And it is, it is Calvinism run amok. This, the statement in Dort is much more subtle and much more well-written. You, men are capable of good, right? They are capable of good. They can organize societies that work well. We, we see this in a number of different places. There, there are unredeemed people who actually do good things in this world selflessly. But what Dort says is that none of those things are actual saving good. And yes, we, we, we would look at any of those individual works and we would say, at some level, there is an inclination towards sin in that. Okay? So even if it's selfless, there's still some aspect of it that is glorifying to themselves or that they are trying to earn their respect before God or man or whatever the case is. We know that. But we can also look at the act in itself and say that it's good. I don't think Westminster allows any sort of avenue for that at all. Um, and I, I think that it's worse for that. Um, don't have any more time to read any more of that. I want to I note a couple of things. Um, we've talked about a lot of it. Um, one of the things that I'm confused, and, and these are just two things that I'm kind of confused about. Um, we've talked about one of them. That is the problem of reporting about the possibility and the remonstrance of people losing their salvation. The remonstrance don't actually hold out that people can lose their salvation, but just that they don't think that Scripture is clear that they can't. Let's put it that way. Um, now, what did Arminians do with that? Are there Arminians floating around here in this world that it's still sort of shoulder shrug as to whether or not that's possible? There's probably one somewhere, right? But the vast majority of Arminians would say, no, you know, you can lose your salvation. So they didn't hold on to what the remonstrance said. But again, I think it's just hard to hold out a possibility for these things. When you're asked for it continuously, you're, you're going to make a decision one way or the next. The second thing that I'm unclear about, um, when you read history, 
and then you read the Council of Dort and the Canons of Dort, you'll notice that these sound way different than the Canons of Trent. So remember, the Council of Trent was the Catholic Church convening and them saying, this is what Catholics believe, this is what we reject. But they didn't just say, this is what we reject. They used that really, really strong language of anathema, okay? And they were anathematizing people like it was going out of style. So if you didn't agree that, that all seven sacraments were of different levels of importance, you can't be saved, right? Like, there is, there is not a small amount of Gnosticism built into that, okay? However, however, you don't get any of that language here. There's no anathemas. What the Council of Dort has laid out for us is this is what we affirm, and we reject these things. They're not saying that those who accept these things are reprobate, or those that accept these things are, are unsaved. They're just saying we reject these things. These things will not be taught in our churches. Now, maybe they've got stronger language in there. Maybe I just, I just overlooked it. Um, but when I read history continually, the historians talked about the fact that the Council of Dort um, defined Arminianism as heresy. I, I don't think that it actually did that. I think that they rejected it, but heresy is a really strong word. I mean, that's what, that's what Athanasius continually pointed at, at um, those who reject the doctrine of the Son in his full divinity and said, no, you're a heretic. Like, that, that means that you can't be saved. And that doesn't seem to be what they're saying at all. They also use the word condemned a lot. They condemned this teaching. I, I just, I don't see it. So I could be wrong about that, but I think that history judges these things a little bit too strongly, both on the Remonstrance and on the, the Council of Dort. I think that this is just a good interchurch struggle, and both sides kind of handled things well. Both of these documents are helpful. I don't agree with the Remonstrance. I, I just, I think that you've, you can't not pick and choose what you're going to do. I think you've got to have opinions on those things, and I think that they're wrong when it comes to prevenient grace and other things like that. But I admire the way that they wrote it. I admire their hesitancy to say things um, when they don't believe that they're convicted about it. I admire that. And frankly, this is where our church is doctrinally. We are an SBC church, which means no one in here has to affirm, you don't have to be Dortian to be here, okay? It helps to be right, so... But you don't have to be. Um, you, you, don't have to be uh, you don't have to be Calvinistic to be here in that sense. You don't have to be Dordian. And we are happy to affirm, as long as you can rightly affirm the Baptist faith and message and the salvation is by Jesus Christ alone through faith and by grace, we're, we're happy that you're here. No works of man involved. We're happy that you are here. Um, that's not where Dort is. So one of the, another funny story, they, they were really ferocious at implying this. They said, this is what our churches are going to agree on. And then immediately, if you were Arminian, you, you got the boot. Um, there wasn't strong persecution, but, but people were driven out of the Netherlands. And they made every minister sign on to this and say that they would, they would preach in line with this. They got to the point where anyone who was involved in the service at all would do this, even up to the people who played the organ, to which one organist said, I don't know how to play the organ according to the doctrines of, of Dort, which I think is just... An amazing statement. Um, I love it. Uh, I don't know how you would do that either. Um, just shows you how far these things can be taken. Uh, but at the same time, I appreciate both of these things. I think a lot of people misunderstand what the remonstrants say and apply 
what happens later back to Arminius. Arminius is not what his followers became. Okay? Also, I think that people misunderstand what Dort is saying, and they end up confusing Calvinism that comes from Dort with things like the Westminster Confession, which clearly don't fall in line with Dort. Like, on significant matters, they're at least distinct. At least in total depravity, they are quite distinct. As a matter of fact, I would tell you, and you can tell I'm serious when I do stuff like that, the difference between what Westminster says and what the Council of Dort says on that issue of total depravity is as important, as important for the way the church works in the world as any difference between the Remonstrance and the Council of Dort is. Because when you have to live in a society with unbelievers, that's going to make a huge difference. And when the church has to work in a society of unbelievers, it's going to make a huge difference. And when the church has to function around other churches who believe differently than they do, that's going to make a huge difference. If you think that Joe Unbeliever is only as wicked as he could possibly be all the time, which is basically, I I think that's what Westminster says, you're going to have a hard time living with him. You're going to have a hard time being sympathetic to him. You're going to have a hard time cultivating love for him. You're just going to have a hard time. And I think that, that those differences are just as important as the, the not Arminian believers later, but at least the remonstrance in what they say. So uh, we have a couple of minutes for questions. I would take them if you have them. Yes, sir? There, there, at least there can be. I don't know that there are, though. So typically that is one of the dividing lines. When you have Calvinism, the one part of Calvinism that you can most readily shrug your shoulders to or jettison altogether is limited atonement. The rest of it really just fits in so well that to deny the preservation of the saints or to deny um, irresistible grace, if you're going to deny irresistible grace, you're really on the road to losing, like, because that means that faith is your choice. But if it's your choice, you can just as easily unchoose it, right? It's not, it's like anything in the world, right? You, you can, marriage is supposed to be forever, but you can just flat up choose to leave, right? So um, once, once that domino falls, the rest of the system kind of falls. I don't feel that same way about limited atonement. So if you're going to deny one part of it, you can. That's not to say that there aren't people out there who... Um, I don't, I don't, uh, I want to I say this in a way that, that doesn't sound pejorative, but aren't rationally thinking through all those things. They're not, they're not connecting all the dots. They're just saying, well, yeah, I've read John 10. I don't think you can lose your salvation, but I also don't believe in irresistible grace. Now, if you ask them to put that together, they'll be like, eh, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I'm just a simple guy reading a simple Bible. More power to them. So, yeah, they're, they're, they can be out there. And there's actually, I know that they're out there because they're Southern Baptist. They're, that's, that's basically the... I, sh- I, I was being stupid. That's basically the Southern Baptist position. It's, it's Southern Baptists are Arminians who believe that you can't lose your, your faith. How that works out, I don't know. Yes, sir. Can you, can you speak up? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are other issues with the Puritan theology that are, are not good. Um, but that is, that strong, strong statement of depravity is not what, what other writers have meant. 
by depravity. And I think that Dort comes really close to speaking about like there's this light that is still in them that, that what Westminster comes really close to is an absolute destruction of the image of God and people. Because if you're saying that they are incapable of, of good, if you, are, if you are removing, if they are wholly inclined to all evil, like it's, it's hard to square that away with the image of God being present in them at all. And that's not exactly what the Council of Dort says. Now, Westminster doesn't have to be read that way, and clearly it's not read that way by everybody. Um, but I, I can, I mean, I can read this statement again. Amen, brother. I, I, so again, this is what it says. Um, at, so it talks about Adam, we'll go back one thing. Adam and Eve, they being the root of all mankind, the guilt of this sin was imputed, and the same death in sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity, descending from them by original generation. From this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, utterly like, that is absolute and complete and total, like, that is a disintegration of everything. I think that's why many historically have not liked the word total depravity and redefined it as radical depravity. Right. Spelling or indicating that depravity affects every area. Amen. But not to the total extent that it could. That right. You, you are not all... You're not all Hitlers, right? So, and I mean, I don't know if you want to, Hitler is like the boogeyman of everything embodied evil, right? So even though Stalin killed way more people. Um, no, <laughs> what's that? In a way. <laughs> so, so everybody know Dave backing Hitler. Um, and that's, so his, we have a Hitler defender and uh, just... I want to make sure that everyone knows that. Um, no, but, but this is the, this is the, the problem. And, and again, what Randy hit on is exactly what we, we teach when we talk about total depravity. We're very, very clear to say you need to understand what the word total is doing there. This is why heading, like um, making these short, like little devices to remember things by, sometimes really bad because that word total doesn't imply what we want it to imply. It implies what Westminster says. But we are much more Dortian than that. We, what we mean is that every, everything you do, while it could be in one, one aspect considered good, um, is, is still laced with sin. There's still a, a deprivation there. There's still a, a, a frequency that is off from what God wants, and, and in that sense is sin. So, yeah. Yes, Sharon? Yes. Well, our, our righteousness is filthy rags is saying that we, we can't claim, like that, that goes back to the idea of Dort and saying there's no good that you do in, inside of salvation that, that merits salvation. And so your righteousness, if you're going to claim to be, be clean before God, you're going to find that that is nothing but a filthy rag. Like God's going to look at that and say that's no good. Um, for salvation is what they say. But they're, they're clearly wording that in such a way as to not outline the fact that we can categorize some things and isolate them as good, right? Even if the motivations for that person weren't good, even if the outcome of that wasn't good, we can still say that this thing is good, right? We can, we can look at feminists. 
um, who are incredibly radical and, and want to um, remove what we think are godly boundaries on, on the differences between men and women, nevertheless who stand up against the use and the making of pornography, and we can look at that and say, that's good. That is a good thing to do. Now, is it mixed up with a system that's not good? Yes. Yes. And, and evil, even, in the, in the way that it, it seeks to undermine God's revelation. Totally. But we can isolate it, and we can say this aspect of it is good. So um, that's, that's where we are when we talk about depravity. That's the kind of thing that we mean. So... All right. Uh, we're also depraved on time, uh, so we need to, uh, to pray and um, get on with our lives. So let's do so. Father God, we are thankful uh, for your day. I'm thankful for um, air conditioning and for all of the good that your people have uh, in the knowledge that you have given to them. I'm very thankful that we can think through these things and think through them well. Um, pray that your blessings would be on us as we seek to go in before you and worship, and in all things, may you be glorified by your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.